Good morning, church. It is good to gather together to be reminded of the truth of the gospel and what beautiful songs we sang this morning. We are starting a new series in the book of Proverbs. So if you would turn to Proverbs, today's scripture is from Proverbs 2, the first 15 verses in Proverbs 2, about midway through your Bible. If you're using the Pew Bible, it is page 528, 528 in the Pew Bible. Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. This is the word of God. Good morning. This week, as you heard, we kick off a new series called Relational Wisdom. Relational Wisdom. We're going to be studying the book of Proverbs, selected Proverbs, uh, as we understand what is wisdom and how does wisdom relate to our relationships. Here's an undeniable fact of life. We all need wisdom, right? Now, maybe there are some who are like, no, I am so wise already, I don't need any more wisdom. Maybe there's some of you there, this, this series isn't for you. Uh, but for the vast majority of the people that I know, uh, they say, look, I just want to learn how to be a better spouse. How do I, how do I be a better roommate to, to this person who doesn't ever put the dishes away? How do, I, how do I learn to respect my demanding boss? Oh, did that strike a chord with some of you? Yeah. Right? I have, a, I have a demanding boss or I have a cantankerous boss, right? But I still have to work with him. What do I do? Right? I want to raise my kids well. I need wisdom for these things. Whether you're a Christian or not, we're all trying to figure out how to do this thing called life and how to do it well. And the question is, where do we turn to grow in wisdom? Some might say, and if uh, most of the voices in our world would say, you have to look inside of yourself because there's so much potential in you that ultimately needs to be actualized in order for you to become your true self or your best self. And that's wisdom. And, and, and that, but there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that line of thinking. The problem is if you look inside of yourself, you are constantly changing, aren't you? 
You are constantly developing and, 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 and growing and, and trying to figure out how can you look inside something that it's never, it's never like foundationally true or stable. How can I trust everything inside me to figure out how to live in a world that's more complicated than I can ever figure out? No, the beauty of God is that he knows we need wisdom and he knows we need divine help, help from above, help from outside of ourselves in order to navigate the complexities of living in a broken and sinful world. And that's why we have this whole section of the Bible called wisdom literature. The whole Bible can help us become wise, but there's a whole section which includes the Proverbs that's called wisdom literature that helps us grow in wisdom. So how do we become wise? Do you just read the Proverbs every day, right? There are 31, so one a day, and I'll just automatically become wiser? No, it doesn't work that way. Wisdom is not magic. Nor is wisdom a commodity that if, if you can just acquire it, then you have it. No, we're going to see today in the Bible, wisdom is described as a path, a journey. It takes time and it takes training to grow in it. In this series, we're going to look at how to apply wisdom to relationships in terms of, we're going to look at our words. How do our words and our relationships affect each other and how do we grow in learning to use words wisely? We're going to talk about forgiveness, conflict, anger, friendship, envy. These are some of the topics we're going to tackle in this series. A couple thoughts about the Proverbs before we get into the specific text here. Proverbs are principles, not promises. You need to understand that if you're going to be reading the book of Proverbs, you're going to be reading these individual Proverbs because you can take one out of context and think, this is automatically true. I'm, ca- I'm, I'm staking this on, my life on this proverb. No, be careful. They are principles that are generally true, but we live in a fallen world, and so they're not promises. The Proverbs don't give directions for what to do in every situation, but they do identify character qualities that are needed to guide us in the many decisions we face in life. Let me give you just a working definition of wisdom. There's lots of different ways to define wisdom in the Bible. Here's one way. Wisdom is an understanding of reality which gives us competence in the complexities of life. An understanding of reality. In other words, a biblical understanding of reality. A clear understanding of reality. An insightful understanding of reality which gives us competence or better ability to navigate and live in the complexities of life. Remember this also before we get into the text. Wisdom is not the same as morality. You can do something that's morally good but still be unwise. An example, is it good to quote scripture to other people? Answer class, yes, that's good. It's morally good, Woo. okay, yeah. It's generally good, morally good to quote scripture, right? But it's incredibly unwise to quote Romans 8.28 to someone who just had a tragedy happen to them, right? It could be morally good, but it could be unwise. So wisdom is knowing the right thing to do, the best thing to do in situations where there are no specific moral rules to guide you. How do I deal with a boss that, that is demanding or a coworker who thinks that, that I'm trying to kind of one-up them or I'm trying to get the next position and they're, they're back and forth? I, that's not going to be governed by morality. 
Yeah, don't be a jerk, but how do I live winsomely with them? There are multiple options that morality might allow. How do I choose the best one? How do I deal with my money? How do I discipline my children? How do I school my children? How do I plan for retirement? What do I do in retirement? These situations require us to make decisions that are more than moral decisions. They also require wisdom to make wise decisions. So, growing in wisdom. Today's sort of a a big picture in how do we grow in wisdom, and then next week we'll start drilling down in specific areas of relational wisdom. Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2. Four lessons today, four ways that we can grow in wisdom. Number one, pursue wisdom. Seek wisdom. If you want to grow in wisdom, you must pursue it. You must seek it out. Solomon, who writes most of the Proverbs here, not all of them, but he's writing, he wrote the Proverbs to train young men how to become wise leaders. Notice he says here in verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom. Wisdom starts with humility. Wisdom starts by recognizing that wisdom itself comes from God and that I need it. You cannot grow wise unless you admit you need to grow wise. This is the posture of the, of the one, as, as, as Proverbs 1, chapter 1 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the posture of someone who fears the Lord is the posture of someone who says, I need wisdom. I need to pursue wisdom. I need to seek it out. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. I can't sleep on top of my Bible and it somehow gives me wisdom. I wish that were so. No, I don't. But it's not that easy. It's not that simple. It's not that magical. Notice the language in verses 1 to 4. He says things like, if you treasure it up, if you search for it as a hidden treasure, if you call out for insight, if you seek it like silver, if you search for it, let me, tell, let me ask you, how vigorously do you pursue growing your wealth? Or how much do you prioritize making money to take care of your family? Probably a good bit of time spent on that, right? And I'm not faulting you. This isn't a trick question. We spend a lot of time earning money, seeking out silver or gold, right? For us, it's dollars and growing that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but God is saying, just like you vigorously pursue this for your family, do you vigorously pursue growing in wisdom, seeking out wisdom? Wisdom has to be valuable to you. God is saying, unless you want it, you won't get it. When you desire something, you cherish it. You you pursue it. You sacrifice to get it. And and God is saying there has to be a drive in us to grow in wisdom. We've said this before. I say this many times. Nobody stumbles into godliness. Right? We pursue it. We grow in it. We seek it out. There has to be a drive. So I just want to ask you up front, this is the first lesson. Do you desire wisdom? Is it precious to you? More precious than entertainment or hobbies 
or money or a relationship. God is, God, God is the wisest one in the universe and he, and he knows there are many things vying for our hearts. And so pursuing wisdom, it can kind of, when you add it all up, it's like, well, that's kind of low priority, God. I got all these things I got to take care of for me, my family, the people around me. Uh, uh, you know, but, but look, wisdom isn't like just ch- tips for, for living your best life now. That's not wisdom. If you read Proverbs 2, Wisdom can literally guard your heart from destruction. I'm not here to help you uh, connect with your, your, your roommate a little bit better. I'm here, and God's word is here to guard you from literally destroying your heart and your life. That's what it's saying. Wisdom can guide you on a path that honors God and later will say that will bring shalom to your soul. In other words, if you read Proverbs, you'll find it says wisdom is literally priceless. Do you want a little bit more money or do you want something that's invaluable compared to money? I'm I'm not asking you to choose one or the other. I'm simply saying, do you want wisdom? Do you want to grow? If you say no thanks, God will say, I'm holding it out, but you got to want it. Look, God's not a hoarder of wisdom. He's not saying, all right, seek it out, but look, I'm holding it close to my chest. you got to find a a secret key to unlock it. No. Look at verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. God wants to lavish us with a greater understanding of the complexities of life. God wants wisdom to guard our lives. He wants it wisdom to help protect us from dangerous choices. He wants wisdom to be pleasant to our souls, but you have to want it. So, are you pursuing wisdom? Do you want it? The first lesson that you find in all the Proverbs is it says, pursue wisdom. Seek it out. Prioritize it. Lesson number two. Walk the path of wisdom. Notice how many times in this passage the the words path, walk, way. Notice that? Guarding the paths of justice, verse 8. Watching the way of the saints. Discretion will watch over you, delivering you from the way of evil, verse 12, who forsake the paths of uprightness, verse 13, verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good. Do you see what he's saying? Hundreds of times in the Bible, living life is likened or described or pictured as walking a path. Why? Why is that a an accurate picture of life? Because walking a path or hiking a, a path requires this. Steady, repeated, and even boring activities. Right? How do, you, how do you take a hike? Here, here it is, right? Here's insight into how do you hike. Right? Nobody goes on a hike and says, I'm going to do jumping jacks, I'm going to do somersaults. No, that's not how you hike. Right? That's how you play. That's not how you go on a journey. That's not how you walk a path. You, you don't do cartwheels on a hike. No, you, you go, it won't get you very far. What gets you down a path? Right foot, left foot. Right foot, 
left foot. And before you know it, you're a mile in. Before you know it, you're three miles in. Before you know it, you're, you're at the top of a hill, top of a mountain. Before you know it, you're, you're looking at waterfalls, right? And all, that di- all you did was one foot after the other. Listen, you don't grow in wisdom by simply going to a class. Now, a class can help you. It can equip you. Uh, but the, the, he, what is the Bible saying? You grow in wisdom by walking the path of wisdom. And, what, and over time, over time, wisdom will be a shield to you. Over time, wisdom will watch over you. Using his language. If, if wisdom is a path, then it's the little things in life that will shape who you are and where you are going. Where, who you are becoming and where you are going is not just a product of dramatic events. Right? We all have several dramatic events that are very, very important to us, and yes, they have shaped our lives, but here's how you grow in wisdom. Here's what will shape the direction of your life and the, and the, and the character of your heart. It's the little choices that you make every day. It's the little things that you think about. It's your daily disciplines. That's what's going to shape who you are and where you're going. And but by describing wisdom as a pathway, He means you become wiser by engaging in the daily practices that repeated over time can make you wise. Pastor Tim Keller said, put it this way, wisdom is not, wisdom is a path, not a door. And I like that saying. If wisdom were a door, all you would need is a key and then you could turn the latch and walk through it and voila, you're wise. And we all would want that. And we all look for books that are self-help books that say, how do I do this? How do I get rich? How do I have a better relationship? How do I understand women, right? How do I do this or that? And those are self-helps, like, I want to better myself. But the Bible never describes wisdom like that. It's never described as a secret key you find and, and you discover, it. ah, now I'm wise. No, it's described as, as what Eugene Peterson, in the title of his book, a long obedience in the same direction. It's a great book. Wisdom is a long obedience in the same direction. Wisdom is a long, patient journey, doing simple things over and over. We grow in wisdom only when we slow down and and listen to God and think and process. But we're not very good at that, are we? As a people, as a society, we're not very good at that. If I tell you wisdom is just doing this over and over, that, that's not a bestseller. No one's going to buy that book. But if I can tell you, you can have your best life by Friday, oh, that's a bestseller right there. Because we want a key. We don't want a path. There's a writer who wrote, who wrote an article in the Atlantic a few years ago. Nicholas Carr wrote an article called, Is Google Making Us Stupid? And he talks about how the information revolution is changing us in not so good ways. He says this, quote, as the media theorist Marshall McClellan pointed out in the 1960s, media are not just passive channels of information. They supply the stuff of thought, but they also shape the process of thought. Listen carefully. And what the internet seems to be doing is chipping away at my capacity for concentration and contemplation. My mind now expects to take in information the way the internet distributes it it, in a swiftly moving stream of particles. 
Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. End quote. I love that image as someone who loves jet skis. We want to speed through life on a jet ski. But that's not the way of wisdom. We want instant information, instant wisdom. Give me wisdom, but put it in a tweet. We want wisdom to be a door. I just walked right through. Nah, now I'm wise. No, it's not like that. It's a path. That's why we want instant change, instant self-help, right? What are, what, what are the books that we're reading, the culture, that are best sellers? What are they saying? They're saying that wisdom is a door. All you need is the right key to unlock it. And God's word is saying, no, no, it's not a key. If you keep looking for the key, if you keep buying books that are called The Secret, you're never going to get wise. As Christians, we are susceptible to this, right? We are also susceptible. When we're confronted with the decision, we'll ask sometimes, okay, what is God's will? And then we'll, feel, we'll pray about it and we'll say, if I feel a sense of peace about it, this must be God's confirmation. This is God's will. Should I do this? It doesn't matter what God's word says about it. I'm just praying about it. And I sense a peace. That must mean it's the wise thing to do. Or we say, God, give me a sign. And whatever you are looking for to confirm, that becomes God's sign for you. There it is. That's a sign I should walk in it. That's not the path of wisdom. That's looking for a technique to unlock God's will. God's way to wisdom is day after day doing the daily habits that shape you into the kind of person that will know how to make a decision when confronted with it. I can't tell you how, what the wise decision is, but I can tell you that there are practices along the way as you walk the path of wisdom. Are you walking the path of wisdom? Do you accept that it's the daily things, the small things that shape who you are and will ultimately shape where you're going? Well, what are those things? Right? What are some of those practices? That's lesson three. Submit to the process of wisdom. If we're going to pursue wisdom and wisdom is a path, what does it look like practically to gain wisdom? There's a lot of things, and that's what this whole series is about. But let me just give you a few practices right up front, big picture practices as we grow in wisdom that lead to wisdom. Number one, study God's Word. Yes, read God's Word, but study it, meditate on it. Chew on it. Wrestle with it. We grow in wisdom as we submit to studying God's word. The writer says in verse 1, My son, if you receive my words. Chapter 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching. My commandments. The word teaching there is the word Torah. It's God's word, God's law. This is a teacher training young men to be future leaders in Israel, and he's talking about treasuring God's words. He's talking about treasuring God's commands. God's word is so full of insight and wisdom in dealing with all the spheres of our lives, losses, jobs, money, family, words, attitudes, and we're going to look at these topics. We need to study and meditate on the Scripture so that we don't just get into Scripture, but so that the Scripture gets into us. 
And the challenge is, there's no jet ski approach to studying Scripture. It's fine to like jet skis, but when it comes to studying Scripture, we got to learn how to become scuba divers. we got to learn how to, how to go a little bit deeper. We can't just skim. We must, as he says, incline our ears and our hearts to understand it. We must search, as he says, for truth diligently. And that takes time and effort. But look, the rewards are great. God's word is a treasure chest. And as we regularly read it, study it, slowly, day after day, week after week, slowly it it makes us wise by transforming our mind, our attitudes, our thinking, our actions. You say, well, I've just always been this way. This is the way, this is my attitude. Well, you might find that God's word is stronger than your attitude. You might find that God's word can actually transform your emotions, can heal your desires. Wisdom can guard us, it says in verse 12, from forsaking the path of uprightness. God's word can help us. It can teach us how to use words in healthy ways. How to guard our hearts. The rest of chapter 2 is how to guard our hearts from the, the deception of evil men and the lust of women. Two different dangers for different situations. God's word can help us not just know his commands, but God's word can help us know him more intimately. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The Hebrew words for steadfast love and faithfulness together are always used to describe God himself. It's the very core of God's character. Steadfast love, chesed, and faithfulness. God's love and faithfulness refer to his unconditional commitment to you. He loves you no matter what. He is committed to you no matter what you are going through. And that's why the proverb says here, look, bind these truths around your neck and heart, meaning find ways to drive these truths deep into you. This is the way way that Proverbs are trying to say this. Christian, God loves you and is committed to you, period. No qualifiers. That's why Martin Luther said we have to find ways to beat the gospel into our heads. He said, find ways to remind yourself of the gospel, whether it's through prayer, worship, music, journaling, memorization, gathering with the body, so that reminds you God will never leave you or forsake you, Christian. But what about in the midst of X? Yep, even in that, he will never, no, never forsake you. We sang that because it's true. The more you believe this and rest in this, the more you will grow in wisdom. And when you're confronted with the decision, you'll have the assurance to assess the situation and make a wise choice. And that assurance will keep you from falling apart. It'll keep you stable and anchored. And the only reason you'll know those truths and experience those truths is because God's word has revealed them to you and it's waiting for you to believe it and live it. Study God's word to know God more intimately, but also practice self-examination. In verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you. 
The word discretion and guard talks about guarding or delivering us from the way of darkness, from perverted speech. Notice, it begs the question, are you growing in wisdom in such a way that it's guarding your heart from paths that are unhealthy or even destructive? Or is your heart being drawn to to unhealthy, sinful paths? He's saying wisdom will guard you. And the only way I can know whether I'm walking down the path, the only way I can reflect accurately is I have to self-examine. And that'll crush me unless I am convinced that God's love is unconditional and is on me, for me, not against me. The deeper I know that I'm loved, the deeper I can go into the hard places of my heart without self-justifying or making excuses. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This is one of the paradoxes of life. Those who are wise don't necessarily see themselves as wise. Those who are wise are often deeply aware of their foolishness, the foolishness in their hearts, the ways that their hearts are are drawn away from the Lord. If you are going to skillfully navigate the complexities of life, you have to be aware of your weaknesses, your flaws, your besetting sins. You have to practice self-examination. Are you wise in your own eyes? Are you willing to listen to others? Are you willing to take feedback and criticism? And I'm talking to the youngest children, to the oldest of us. It starts early when you start to think as a kid, I know it all. Why do I even have parents? Like, they're so out of touch with reality. Just pay all the things for my, my, my living, but let me figure out life on my own, right? Are you wise in your own eyes? You know, one of the best ways to practice self-examination is in community with other believers. Again, chapter 2, verse 1, my son, listen, receive my words. It's someone older mentoring someone who's younger. He's imparting wisdom and insight. And the point is, we don't grow in wisdom by ourselves. We need others who know us well enough, who can see my flaws and my weaknesses. Uh, If you think you don't need community, you can't walk the path of wisdom. I don't know how else to say it. It's why our church pushes small groups and, and getting involved in a Sunday morning class, somewhere where you can be known by others, where they can say, oh, this is going on in your life, but I know your heart, I know your tendencies. Let me just ask you a couple questions to help you examine where your heart is, where your desires are. If you have no one doing that, it's so easy to be self-deceived. It's so easy to be wise in your own eyes until you have others who can say, there's a blind spot there. One more practice. Don't despise suffering. What? That might sound strange because if you read the Proverbs, many times they say wise people generally experience good results. Right? Verse 20 and 21. So you'll walk in the way of the good, keep to the paths of the righteous, the upright will inhabit the land, and those who walk with integrity will remain in it. And most of the Proverbs say stuff like that, and you're like, 
well, I mean, I, I want that. I, I'd like that. And then you read chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And you go, well, which is it? Is it either or? No, it's both end. The path of wisdom will inevitably lead us through trials. And what chapter 3, 11, and 12 are saying is, some are even ordained by God out of his love for his children. And that's strange to us. The path of wisdom doesn't avoid suffering, but we want to avoid suffering. Notice he says, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't reject it. Don't say, oh, this must be the wrong path. I'm going to get off of this path. Marriage is hard. I'm going to get off of that path and do a different marriage. I, don't, I want to marry this person, but God puts parameters around who to marry. But, but I, I want to choose that, that path, not path, that's the path that God has. No, don't reject it. Don't, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't grow cold or resentful because of the trials of life. Why? Because the trials are actually meant to keep us walking down the path of wisdom even when it's hard. And when you do, you find that wisdom actually transforms our suffering into more wisdom. God is a genius. And I'll say this firsthand. I don't like that I have to say this. I don't like that I've had to live this. You will grow in wisdom during times of suffering more than any other time in your life. Why does Psalm 23 say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, wouldn't a good shepherd not lead us through the valley of the shadow of death? No. He leads us into the valley of the dark shadow. And his promise is, I will be with you. It's part of how God grows us into people who know him intimately and trust him deeply. And this happens when we are convinced that God disciplines those he loves. And that even in the midst of discipline, whatever that looks like, that he actually delights in us. Chapter 3, verse 12. He delights in us. Are you submitting to the process of wisdom? Finally, lesson number four. Trust the person of wisdom, Jesus Christ. Verse 20 of chapter 2, so you'll walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. You read verse 20 and you think, well, how do I know if I'll be able to walk the way of, of the good? How do I know if I'll keep to the path of the righteous? And in verse 12, 21, for the upright will inhabit the land. Am I even upright? Does that include me? Do I have integrity? When I look at my heart and self-examine, I, I see the broken areas. I see my weaknesses. Not only that, suffering, my suffering often leads me to think that maybe I have wandered off the path. And then I look at all the evil and suffering around me, and I think, if one of the ways that we learn wisdom is through suffering, that can't be a complete answer. Right? Something is missing. It's grossly incomplete to say, from my story, that my dad died when I was a kid so I could learn wisdom. That's incomplete. Right? If you have a daughter who's struggling with an addiction, that's real suffering. 
If you lose a baby or your spouse walks out on you, that's real suffering. If wisdom helps me navigate the complexities of life, the truth is that those things make wisdom in and of itself insufficient. And we're not alone in that. We're not alone in thinking that and feeling that. All throughout the wisdom literature, ironically, Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, the, author, the authors wrestle with the question, why do the innocent suffer so much? Where do we, in other words, there must be a deeper wisdom that helps us deal with the terrible suffering that we have to endure in this life. Where do we get that kind of wisdom? Look at chapter, Proverbs chapter 30. Turn over to Proverbs 30. I'm going to read a couple of verses there. They'll be up on the screen as well. These are the words of Agur, son of Jaka. He says, The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. This man, Agur, must be a wise person. He literally wrote some of the Proverbs. But look, right here, he, he says, I'm completely weary and I'm worn out. Why? Because he's going through such a dark valley, through such painful suffering that he says, I don't even have the understanding of an ordinary man. I can't even make sense of basic things in life. Things are so dark. Things are so um, bleak. When I look around, it's so dev devastating, so difficult that I don't have the wisdom to make sense of any of it. He's in the valley, isn't he? And when you're in the valley, you lose perspective. You can't understand what God is up to. And he says, if only he could climb up the mountain to see where the path is taking him, right? If you're in a valley, you have no idea what's on the other side of that mountain. Maybe it's beautiful and glorious, but you have no idea. And he's saying, I just wish I could go to the top and see the bigger picture. He's saying, I don't know where the path leads. Only God knows the big picture. That's why he says, who's gathered up the winds in his fists? Who's wrapped up the waters? Who's he says, unless God comes down and helps me make sense of things, the evil and suffering of this world will continue to leave me hopeless and weary. Unless someone literally comes down from heaven, Agur is saying, I won't have the ultimate wisdom to help me continue on the path. What is his name? He cries out. And what is his son's name? Surely you know God. Many years later, Jesus would be sitting in the darkness of night with a man named Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, and he would say in John 3, 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He quotes Proverbs 30. Jesus is saying, I am the one Agur was looking for. I am the son who has come down from heaven. I can give you ultimate wisdom because I am literally the source of wisdom. 
And then he tells Nicodemus this, And as Moses, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, I have come to show you ultimate wisdom. And ultimate wisdom, get this, is displayed in the strangest of ways on a cross. On a cross. Why do the innocent suffer? If you've ever asked that question, Jesus says, just look at me. Just look to me. I am the ultimate innocent sufferer. I am going to suffer horrifically even though I didn't deserve it. Jesus experienced violence and hatred and rejection and hopelessness, the wrath of God against all of our sin because he was perfect, he had none. But on the cross, he became our sin. He became our sin bearer. Why? So that he could destroy sin without destroying us. So that one day, he would destroy all evil and suffering for good. Right? The day that he returns and makes all things new, as Revelation 21 says. The day he, he returns, and J, as J.R.R. Tolkien says, when, when everything bad becomes undone. Because on the cross, God upheld his justice. He punished sin, and yet he upheld his love by punishing Jesus and not us. So that now, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be set free from the penalty of sin and be welcomed into God's family. Jesus is saying, unless you see the cross as the ultimate wisdom of God, you will never be able to walk the path of life. You will never be able to walk the path of eternal life. Jesus didn't just suffer for us, he suffered with us. He didn't just come down and go straight to the cross, he experienced all the brokenness and suffering of this life. Why did he do that? So that you can know that you have a God whom you can trust. A God who may not give you every explanation for your suffering, but a God who instead gives you himself in the midst of your suffering. That's what you and I need most. We can't grow in wisdom just by following the Proverbs. We grow in wisdom by following Jesus, who is wisdom. Have you placed your faith in Christ? If, if not, do you need right now, today, to turn from whatever you've been following, whatever path, maybe the path is yourself, maybe you turn from that and say, Jesus, I need to trust you as my Savior, as my ultimate source of wisdom, as my eternal life. I'm looking to you and believing on you because whoever believes in him will have eternal life. No matter what you're going through today, Jesus is your greatest need. And Christian, maybe you're at a crossroads today. Maybe there are decisions up ahead and you feel stuck. Maybe you're trying to make plans for the next chapter of your life. Maybe it's retirement. I don't know what it is. Seek wisdom, yes. Seek his word, yes. Examine your heart, yes. But at the end of the day, it's about pursuing Christ. Because when you do, it will not be the decisions that will define your life, but the path that you're on that will define your life. And if that path is your steady, even boring, mundane pursuit of Christ, one foot after the other, daily, daily seeking after Christ, you can have confidence that he will direct your paths. He loves you more than you can imagine, and he will be with you no matter what. That is wisdom. Let's pray. 
Father, we want to trust you today. We don't just want to seek wisdom, walk the path of wisdom, pursue the process of wisdom. Lord, we we just want to turn to you right now and say, we have questions. We have doubts. We have struggles. We have flaws. We have weaknesses. Lord, some of us are so weary, we don't even know how to make it another day. And yet we turn to you. We say with the disciples, who else can we turn to, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, I thank you that your word opens our our eyes to the bigger picture. I thank you that wisdom shows us we're on a path and the path isn't to destruction. The path doesn't end with the valley of the shadow of death. I thank you this morning that the path leads us to the house of the Lord where we will have your goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life and we will dwell in your presence forever. Lord, I thank you that that is our end. Not our suffering, not our trials, not our disappointments, not our wounds. Lord, we may end limping, but I thank you that at at the end of the path is pleasures forevermore and joy, unspeakable joy. We know that this is true because Jesus, you died and rose again, proving that all your promises are yes and amen. We are going to keep trusting your word even when we don't understand your ways. Help us to do that. Help us to grow in wisdom from the youngest of us spiritually to the most seasoned of us spiritually. From the youngest of us physically to the most seasoned of us physically. Lord, all of us as a church, on their behalf, on our behalf, as a pastor, Lord, I am crying out, Help us grow in wisdom, even as we look to you and trust you, Jesus, our true wisdom and our righteousness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.